If you will, please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. I know that I've been talking about going to chapter 11 before we went to 10, uh, but as I continued to study more and more, uh, I decided that uh, I'd rather study 10 first uh, before we go to chapter 11. Uh, but I do uh, want you to know that uh, it's not a 10 or 11 is not an easy thing to decide which one go, comes first. As it looked like it was at the beginning, I thought I knew for sure, uh, but then it became a little more complicated. So let's just start with chapter 10, verse 1, and I'll explain that to you more in detail, and you can go home and you can figure out uh, which one comes first. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Okay, and so, so should Daniel 11 come before Daniel 10? Or should 10 come before 11? We've already noticed that several of the chapters of the book of Daniel are not in chronological order. Now, Brother Turner, Brother Rex Turner Sr., in his book, he believes that Daniel chapter 11 uh, chronologically fits before chapter 10. And his reasoning makes perfect sense. I'll show you what he says. This is a quote from his book. He says, Some three years have intervened since Cyrus had become the supreme ruler of the nations, at which time he had appointed Darius the Mede as governor over Babylon, Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. Whereas at the, at the point and time of Daniel 10, 1, the third year of Cyrus was necessarily the third year also of Darius the Mede per Daniel 11, 1. And so when Cyrus was made king, when they conquered Babylon, then Darius was made king uh, under Cyrus at the same time. So what he's saying is the first year that Cyrus was king was also the first year that Darius was king. And so when you look at 10-1 uh, and 11-1, you'll find that 11-1 is the first year of Darius and 10-1 is the third year. So that's how he gets... Daniel 11 coming before Daniel chapter 10. Many of the commentators, however, believe that Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are a single unit and that Daniel 11 verse 1 belongs at the end of chapter 10. In other words, a bad place for a chapter break. As I studied Daniel 11 for a couple of weeks, I struggled exactly with how all that fit together. And here's, here's what gave me the, the greatest amount of trouble is the reason why I have Daniel 10 before 11 is because I had to go to Daniel 10 to know who the I is in Daniel 11.1. Where it says also 
I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Now, when you go to chapter 10, you'll learn, if, if this is correct, in the correct order, 10 and then 11, you will learn that the I there is the angel. Because in chapter 11, as we'll see in our next study of Daniel, the angel is giving information or explaining some more to Daniel about the vision. And so it looks to me like that the chapter 10 tells about the vision, but not in great detail. And then when you get into chapter 11, he kind of really fleshes it out and gives you a lot more detail about what was said in chapter 10. And so I'm not dogmatic either way. Actually, I went and looked into uh, uh, Reese's Chronological Bible, and to my surprise, Reese has chapter 11, 1, right after Daniel 1, verse 21, and before Daniel 9, verse 1. And then he has Daniel 11, 2, after Daniel 10, 21. And so I said, look at here, I'm not the only one confused. And so I ran into something that really stumped me. It was difficult, and uh, that's not hard to do, to stump me on something, but uh, the way it's worded, so it, it looks like Brother Turner's right if you take chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, but when you look at all that's said, it just didn't line up just right for me. And so for that reason, I decided to go with chapter 10 first, I don't think you'd do any harm either way if you go 10 first or 11 first, but uh, I like 10 first because the other just was not working for me as hard as I tried to make it work. So again, the background of what's going on in the book of Daniel. You remember in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, Remember I beseech thee the word which thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. Don't ever forget this is the background of what's going on in Daniel. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And so God had really made a promise to his people and they went into the promised land. If you turn your back on me, I'm going to scatter you. But if you repent and come back to me, I'll bring you back together in the promised land in Jerusalem. And so in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word unto you in causing you to return to this place. And so it was prophesied that they would go in, that Judah would go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. After 70 years, God was going to allow them to be freed from Babylonian captivity and to be able to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the temple and, and go back to their homeland and, and live there as they had before. Now, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, the Bible says, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and the temple, and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. And so 150 years before Cyrus was ever born, God calls him by name in the book of Isaiah and says that 
Isaiah, that uh, Cyrus would be the one who would free God's people and uh, make a decree that they'd be able to go back into the city and rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, and all of those things. And so it had been prophesied 150 years before this man, this king, was ever born. And so when we get to Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, there he is, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Judea. Uh, Judah. And then, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And so the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians, as we've already noticed. Then Cyrus becomes the king over the world empire, the Medo-Persian empire, and he uh, makes, gives his proclamation to free God's people to go back into the promised land and to rebuild it. Now remember, this is in the time of uh, Ezra, we're talking here, which is around the time of Esther. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, when the return is taking place, as we studied not long ago in a lesson that, remember, Nehemiah uh, took some back to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem, uh, which he did, and they did, in 52 days. So Cyrus has freed God's people and said, all of you that want to, go back, go home, and rebuild everything that's, that's been destroyed. And so in the third year of the reign of the Medo-Persian Empire, Daniel received a vision of the time of the end. Daniel, I believe it's all of this, Daniel 10, 1 through Daniel 12, 13. God revealed to him many things about his purpose and plan in history regarding the nation of Israel and God's everlasting kingdom. We read about that all throughout the book of Daniel, about the kingdoms that were uh, empowered at, that, at those different times, but then also what uh, was above all of that, superior to all of that, we read so much about God's eternal kingdom. Remember, superior king, superior kingdom. It had, and so what he was revealing to, to uh, Daniel uh, had to do with what would happen to Daniel's people in the latter days. We find that in Daniel 10, verse 14. Now I am come to make thee, this is the angel speaking, or the glorious man, however you want to put it, as some put it that way, uh, make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, that's a key phrase, first of all thy people, and then in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. I believe that the vision that he receives at this time 
will take us from the Medo-Persian Empire all the way to the Roman Empire and during that period of time. A lot of this we're going to be talking about, uh, especially when we get into chapter 11, is going to be that intertestament period that we talk about, that 400 years of silence when there was no written word given to God's people. And so this is uh, a lot, has a lot to do with that period of time, uh, and, but it's before it happened, beforehand. Okay, so verse 2 of Daniel 10. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel becomes so disturbed and so troubled that he prayed and fasted for 21 days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, it doesn't even look like he bathed. He just, he just let himself go and he, he was mourning, he was grieving. I'm sure he had no appetite. And so he was troubled because upon the proclamation of Cyrus that the Jews were free to go home and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple of God, less than 50,000 Jews were willing to leave Babylonia because they loved the Babylonian and the Persian ways of life. And so they're free, but they don't leave. And you can imagine, in, to Daniel, the greatest thing to do would be go home and rebuild the house of God. Have God's people assemble back together in Jerusalem and in that area to worship God according to God's ways. But God's people didn't want to go. He was also troubled when he saw that the rebuilding of the temple had been stopped for about 14 to 16 years due to the opposition that the Jews that did go back faced. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Remember, there's several different Dariuses. Uh, Artaxerxes is also a Darius. Uh, I believe that's right. No, he's not. I think he had a, uh, let's see, Darius, Artaxerxes, Azuraris. So I think maybe his son may have been. Okay, and so here we see that the, these uh, Samaritans and others are troubling the Jews. So give them a hard time. Just like when we studied about the rebuilding of the wall. You remember how Sanballat and Tobiah how that they did all those different things to try to stop uh, Nehemiah and God's people from rebuilding the wall. Well, that was going on as they were trying to rebuild the city as well. They were trying to discourage them and stop them and force them uh, to not be able to rebuild the city or to rebuild the temple or even the walls around the temple. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, the Bible says, Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe, 
their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then cease the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. In addition to all that, the Jews became so focused on building their own houses. You remember they were rebuked. Uh, they lived in sealed houses. They had their own houses, their own uh, places of abode, and yet they would not finish the temple, the house of God. And so uh, because of all of this, Daniel is very troubled, and he's grieving, and he's mourning. The, the warfare between the Samaritans lasted about 24 years, so it was ongoing for for quite a while. And then, of course, we find in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, that the Jews had excused themselves from building the temple. It says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. In other words, they just put God off. They put their wants and their desires ahead of God's. But we find in Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, that during the reign of Darius in the second year, the Jews start rebuilding. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, verse 4 of Daniel 10. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. On the 24th day of the first month, that is when the Jews, uh, Israel, celebrated their deliverance from their state of slavery from Egypt. We find here that Daniel's on the side of Hittichel, which is the great Tigris River. Many scholars believe that this glorious man, as they call him, that we read about here in Daniel, was actually the incarnate word, or Jesus, before he came in the flesh. We also read of one described much like that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13 through 17, where the Bible says, and this is what John saw, and, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, 
and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun lighteth in his, in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Some also say that the man that the person that Nebuchadnezzar saw in the fiery furnace with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego was also the same person. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace? He saw four men, not three. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The glorious man from my studies most likely was an angel. And as we study through Scripture, we find that only a few people, but some, actually were allowed to see angels. I think about... Balaam. You remember when Balak had sent people to Balaam to try to get him to curse God's people who were coming out of the wilderness and they were conquering and taking over the promised land? And of course, you remember at first, uh, Balaam said, you know, no matter what you give me, I can't curse these people because if God doesn't curse them, I sure can't curse them. And, but they kept working on him and eventually they get him to, to go their way. But but you remember when he was on that trip and uh, he was riding that donkey and, and the donkey wouldn't go. You remember how he got upset with the donkey? Of course, that's the story you all remember where the donkey talked to the man. But you remember what it was that he was allowed to see that the donkey saw that he didn't see? Numbers 22, verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. We had a study a while back on the angel of the Lord could possibly be the incarnate word of Jesus before he was in the flesh. But on this occasion, that may be who that was. But we know the Bible does say he saw the angel of the Lord. He was able to see what he couldn't see with human eyes unless allowed to by, by God. Then I think about the time when Elisha uh, saw all those angels he was allowed to see. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, here the Bible says, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host encompassed the city, encompassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. 
And so really there were angels there. They had angels um, that he was able to see that Elisha saw as well. And then I think about John. He was another one who saw an angel. In Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See, thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Just think about being in the presence of an angel of God. To be able to see an angel. What would that be like? Most people have never seen an angel. I know you may think you're an angel, but really you're not. You've never seen an angel, but some have. In chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 7, it says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. And I retained no strength, yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. Daniel points out that he was the only one that saw the vision. This is similar to what happened to Paul. In Acts 22, verse 6 through 9, Paul said, and this is when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he said, the Bible says, And it came to pass that I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Some similarity there. The men that were with Daniel did not see the vision. But they knew that something was going on that terrified them. Daniel points out that even his countenance changed. We read a lot in Daniel about different ones' countenance changing. Some... Commentators say that when it says that, a lot of times their faces change colors, either pale uh, is what they usually say. But somehow the countenance changed, the look was different, and, and he lost his strength. And it looks like he passed out. Daniel 7, verse 28, we learn this is not the first time something like that happened to Daniel. The Bible says, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel... My cognitations or my thoughts much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Many times his countenance was changed. He was troubled by the, the visions and the dreams and, and even the interpretations that he was giving. So the, the receiving of visions took a lot out of Daniel. When we read and studied Daniel chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, you remember the Bible said, so he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid. 
and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And so this was something that happened several times to Daniel as he's receiving dreams and visions and interpretation. The receiving of all this many times made Daniel very sick. It's like it took a lot out of him. You, you can only, I mean, really, we can't really imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of a holy one like this and receive these type visions and dreams and interpretations. We've never experienced anything like that at all, but, but we can see from the study that it took a lot out of Daniel. You remember in chapter 8 of Daniel, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted, and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business. And so it took a lot out of Daniel. Uh, sometimes he passed out. Sometimes he found himself on his face. Sometimes he became sick afterwards. And so that's the case here. He's, he loses his strength. Uh, he becomes weak. He goes into a deep sleep. He falls on his, uh, basically on his face, on the ground. And then verse 10 of chapter 10, the Bible says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So he was laying there on his face, and a hand touched him and sat him up. And so he was kind of like we would say on all fours, on his knees and on his hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, the word was, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Daniel is paid a great compliment right here by this angel this heavenly being he says Daniel a man greatly beloved of God what a compliment if that could be said of each of us tonight a person greatly beloved gently beloved tenderly beloved of God you know Daniel was a very special man so much so that he he's mentioned on God's honor roll when you go back and study Ezekiel chapter 14, in verse 20, notice, the Bible says, though Noah, pretty special guy, wasn't he? Daniel and Job, three very special men of God, were in it. Uh, As I live, saith the Lord, and then he goes on and talks about uh, them and how they saved their righteous souls. And so they were examples of men of faith, great men. So the angel touched Daniel and set him up on his knees and on his hands and then told him to stand up. Of course, he stood up, but he said he was trembling, I can imagine. One, he was weak, 
from all that this, uh, whatever all this did to him, took out of him. But also, I'm sure he might have been a little bit of frightened uh, by being in the presence of someone like this. But it wasn't his first time, for sure, as we pointed out. The glorious man was the, really the answer to Daniel's prayer. When Daniel was so troubled, he started praying. And he was sent to strengthen Daniel and to help him to understand the vision. Oftentimes, angels have ministered to people. One of the, one of the disagreements Alita and I used to have was she believed in guardian angels today, and I don't believe in guardian angels today. Um, you could probably discuss that from now to, to your dying day, and you, we may not all agree on all there is to know about angels, but... Um, it sounds good that you've got a guardian angel. I just don't know where he goes when bad things happen to you. But, you know, um, it is what it is. I know this much. There has been times when angels have been involved in the affairs of men. We have this ex many examples in the book of Daniel that we've already studied. But if you go back to Genesis 28, verse 12, the Bible says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reach to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. That was talking about Jacob. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies my footstool, thy footstool. Uh, are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister of them who shall be heirs of salvation. And I know what happened when Jesus went in the wilderness after he was tempted. You remember the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And so he had went, what, 40 days without food or water, anything to eat or drink, being tempted of the devil, and so you can imagine what kind of condition that, that our Lord and Savior was in at that time. But God sent angels to minister unto him, to strengthen him. And so I know it's a biblical subject, and I know angels uh, do work and have worked in the affairs of men. Now, verse 13 of Daniel 10, the Bible says, and this is where it gets really mm, difficult for me anyhow. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Here's, here's the question. Who is the prince of Persia? Whoever he is. He held up the angel for 21 days, which happens to be the same amount of time that Daniel was praying and fasting. And so the angel was sent by God to strengthen Daniel and to explain to him the vision, but it took the angel 21 days to get there because this Prince of Persia ran interference, hindered him. So, who is this 
prince of Persia. Who is it that could hinder an angel from being able to get to where he needed to be? But when you look up the word prince, and it's mentioned several times in the book of Daniel, which is a good place to research the word if you want to know what the prince means. And the definition of a prince is a head person of any rank or class, a captain that had rule, chief captain, a general, a governor, a keeper, a lord, a taskmaster, a prince, a ruler, a steward. And so from that I can see clearly a prince can be a person. We know about princes. We've studied about several in the book of Daniel. Princes, lords, masters, people of high rank. But, but how can a person, if it's talking about a person, how can a person stop an angel or hinder an angel from doing what he's sent to do? When I look at Prince in the book of Daniel, I find Aspenaz in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through uh, 3 and 8. You remember he was called the Prince of the Eunuchs. So that's a prince in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 11, we read about the Prince of Hosts, which was Onias the third, which was the high priest, is what he was. So the high priest was called the Prince of the Hosts. Also, in Daniel 8, 25, we have the prince of princes, which we know who that is. That's God. So it's not always a human being, but it's someone of high rank. In Daniel 9, 25, when we get there, we're going to see where it talks about the prince, and that prince is going to refer to Jesus. In Daniel 10, verse 21... We have Prince, and he's called, to Daniel, he's called your Prince, Daniel 10, 21. So there's this Michael. So, so this messenger is sent to help Daniel, but then this Prince of Persia gets in his way until Michael gets there. And this Michael does something that allows this messenger to, to go to where Daniel is. So notice, this Michael in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13 is called one of the chief princes. So he's a chief prince. He's, a, he's, he's Daniel's prince. He's a chief prince. And then in Daniel 10, 21, he's called your prince, Michael, your prince. And then he's called the great prince in Daniel 12, verse 1. Michael, the great prince. And when you go to Jude, verse 9, Jude says, yet Michael, the archangel. So, I believe the Michael that we read about in chapter 10 of Daniel is Michael the archangel. And so this messenger angel was sent to help Daniel, but this prince of Persia got in his way, and so Michael the archangel, this prince of angels, was sent to help him. And so, again, many times we see angels uh, working in the affairs of men, just like in Exodus 14, verse 19, and the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed 
and went behind them, and the pillow of the uh, cloud went from before their faces and stood uh, behind them, which that's, I believe, the angel of the Lord, which is probably the incarnate Christ. And then we find in Numbers 22, verse 22, and God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Remember, that was Balaam. Uh, now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. And then we find in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, the Assyrians. Uh, you remember uh, the Bible says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. And so the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. But there are many examples of angels working in the affairs, especially the angel of the Lord, but also uh, other angels that are uh, working in the affairs of men. So it appears, it appears to me that Michael is the guardian angel of the nation of Israel, Judah. The angel was sent to enlighten Daniel, could have been, possibly, this is, would be more my opinion than anything, Gabriel. Because Gabriel, of course, Michael and Gabriel, the only two angels that are mentioned by name in, in the Bible, and Gabriel was more of a messenger where Michael was more of a warrior type, from what I read. And so, so Michael was sent to help this messenger that was going to help Daniel. And he was, and of course, the one that was sent had been hindered 21 days by the prince of Persia. Now, here's some of the reasons why I think the one that was talking to Daniel may be Gabriel is because of passages like Daniel 8, 16, where the Bible says, and I, Daniel speaking, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eulah, uh, which called and said, Gabriel, take this man, uh, make this man to understand the vision. You see what Gabriel was doing? He was helping Daniel to understand the vision. So he was like more of a messenger type. Uh, it was more his work. In Daniel 9, verse 21, when we get there, we're going to see Gabriel again. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And then we find Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 19. And what is he doing? He's delivering a message. That's what he did. He delivered messages from God. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand, uh, that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And so it looks like, it looks like Michael was more of a guardian and Gabriel was more of a messenger. And that's kind of the way I see it in Scripture. Now, here's another question for you. 
And, and my brain strains over this, I'm going to tell you. It, it wasn't easy the last time I studied it, and it's not any easier this time. But could it be that there are spiritual beings warring in the, in the spirit world? That that could have been going on behind the scenes? And God just didn't see fit to give us a whole lot of information, but just maybe a little look into that? As we study the book of Daniel, now you can try to take these, these uh, mess, this messenger and this guardian and what have you, and you can try to make them people, I guess, maybe kings of Persia, kings of, of Greece. Uh, but it's, it's a difficult stretch. But some people do that. Maybe you can do that. Maybe that's what it means. But when I read it on the surface, I see these as angels. And... Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. The Bible says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Now, most people teach this. Uh, well, I ain't going to say most. A lot of people teach this to say, this is really just a battle between good and evil. And they just kind of dismiss it like that. Good versus evil. Book of Revelation. And good in the end, wins out. And really, that's the message that we need to get from the book of Revelation, that if you're faithful unto death, you're going to be victorious. But why is it worded like this? And why is the name Michael given? And what is this? You know, so there's a lot in the spirit world that we don't know. It's not really given for us to have a full understanding. If God had wanted us to really understand it, he would have given it to us. But but since it looks as though Judah had a guardian angel, could it be that Persia also could have had a guardian angel? And that's who ran interference? That's who got in the way? Let me read to you what Albert Barnes says in his commentary. He says, and there, there was a lot there, so I just picked the, the, tried to sum it up using his exact words that this is the proper meaning here as deduced from the words is apparent. For A, it is an angel that is speaking, and it would seem most natural to suppose that he had encountered one of his own rank, that being the prince of Persia. The mention of Michael, who came to his aid, a name which, as we shall see, properly denotes an angel, leads to the same conclusion. C, in accords also with the prevailing belief on this subject, undoubtedly one who takes into view all the circumstances referred to in this passage would most naturally understand this to be an angelic being having some kind of jurisdiction over the kingdom of Persia. So that's, that's what Albert Barnes believes, basically that, that Persia had uh, an angel that had some kind of jurisdiction over them. And so as um, Gabriel or whoever this messenger angel is is going to Daniel, this uh, prince of Persia interferes for 21 days. And so Michael comes Notice this, Brother Rex Turner Sr. also says, and 21 days had 
intervened since Daniel had begun his very earnest fasting and prayer. And then an angel appeared to announce to Daniel that from the beginning of his prayer 21 days ago that he, that's the angel, had been hindered in coming to him, that's Daniel. That angel had been hindered by an angel who was the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so that's all pretty deep for my little old brain. But just from reading it, that sounds like the best I could find to try to understand this difficult passage. And so then you might ask the question, why would an angel fight against God? Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? But since angels, like human beings, were also created as free moral agents, could it not be that perhaps this, this prince of Persia may have been a fallen angel, a rebellious angel, just like those that we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4? 2 Peter actually, chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It may not have even been an evil angel, but, but most likely I would say it, it, that's probably uh, what it was. And so, Daniel 10, verse 14. And now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. That's the angel talking to Daniel. And he's telling him really in a short, just uh, with it all really summed up what the vision is about. So the angel had come to make known to Daniel some of the things that were going to happen to Israel. And you'll notice he said which would occur in latter days or many days yet to come. The New King James Well, that wasn't good, was it? Uh, the New King James uh, words it a little differently, but it says the same thing. It says, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so it's talking about things that will happen in the future. Uh, and some of those things We're going to focus on two of those uh, generals and two of those areas, which is going to be Samaria, I mean, it's going to be Syria, and it's going to be Egypt. And then we're going to study about the kings of Syria and the kings of Egypt. 
can get us caught up here. It's going to be way more detailed. Well, I don't know why that happened. Okay, so you got the latter days that were to come. And also in Daniel 8, verse 26, and the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for, all, for it shall be for many days. So, follow, this is what... Uh, a guy named Hartrider wrote. He says, from what follows the expression latter days appears to refer to the time leading up to the coming of the Messiah and into the Messianic uh, period. And so it was for time to come uh, all the way to the coming of Christ and of course the Roman Empire and all that. So in Daniel 2, 24, it says, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And so you remember in chapter 2, in that dream of that colossal image, it had a lot to do with what would happen in the latter days. And that ties into Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where Peter said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so the events that would take place in the near future and the distant future of God's people would be detailed in chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 9. Now, verse 15 of Daniel 10 and when he had spoken such words unto me I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb and behold one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me O my Lord by the visions my sorrow are turned upon me and I have retained no strength for how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this, my Lord, for as for me, straightway there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. This was not the first time that God had dispatched an angel to supernaturally give Daniel understanding and wisdom and knowledge. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision, and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me uh, as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand. So because of Daniel's fasting, his grieving, and hearing the message from the angel, he was without strength and breath. In other words, it took the breath away from him, you can imagine. And so Daniel was saddened by the news that the Jews had stopped building God's house due to the opposition of the Samaritans. And he was overwhelmed and exhausted by the words of the angel about the future of his people. Imagine being in the presence of an angelic being. I can't imagine what that would be like. It would, I'm sure, take your breath away. 
and leave you speechless. And I would imagine in the presence of an angel, uh, we would probably all do like others have before. We would probably hit the ground on our faces in awe of such a being as an angel. Verse 18, And then, and there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Daniel had experienced an emotional state of despair by learning the Samaritans would stop the rebuilding of the temple and the other things. The angel came again unto Daniel with words of encouragement to strengthen him, just like what happened to Jesus in Matthew 4.11, I'm sure. The angel complimented Daniel, gave him some great words of advice. He called him again the second time, greatly beloved of God. That would be encouraging to anyone to hear that. And then he said, fear not. In other words, don't worry. The temple is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be okay. And then he said, peace be unto you. And then he said, be strong. Yea, be strong. Great words for all of us. Don't be afraid. Have peace. Be strong. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. The Bible says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. That's why we don't have to fear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Good word for us. Chapter 10, verse 20. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. So that the angel asked Daniel if he knew why he, that's the angel, uh, had been sent to him. And Daniel, it doesn't record in the Bible that he, what his answer was or if he gave an answer. But I would say because of the way it's not recorded, it implies that he did answer in the affirmative. The angel then informed Daniel that he had to resume his fight with the prince of Persia. They had to go back. And then added that the prince of Grecia would also come. And was this prince of Grecia? Could that have been Alexander the Great? Some people say that that's who it was. Not really an angel, but, but it represented Alexander the Great. Or did the nation of Greece also have a guardian angel. These events will be discussed more in detail in chapter 11. Keep in mind that all the Persian leaders did not love the Jews. You remember Haman? And see, this is around the same time. Esther, you remember Esther 3, verse 6? The Bible says, And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai, 
Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Asherah, even the people of Mordecai.